learn the very mind of God, the precepts for living. The Proverbs tells us that living, that wisdom is living skillfully. That's the literal uh, meaning of that word. And so the only way, to, and it, the picture is of a ship being navigated through the rocky shoals, a wise captain charts his course, and through experience and through warning, he dodges the, the unseen shoal and the reefs there that could wreck the ship, and skillfully does he guide that ship into to safety. And so our life is like that, isn't it? We're, we are on tempestuous seas sometimes, uncharted waters. There are hidden dangers. There are reefs. There are uh, hidden icebergs. And uh, uh, to mention other things that are unseen. And so how will we get to the other shore? How will we get safely home? Well, the Lord has not left us without a chart, has he? Without a map. He's given us his very word that tells us how to be born again. And how to know him and then how to live this life in the, in the daily round of life, in the mundane things such as money and speech and feelings and dealing with one another and work. And all these areas are morality, the choice of friends. Who will I, who will I befriend? Who will I allow to, to influence me? Uh, usury, co-signing, all those things that you come across in life. Are mentioned. I just mentioned some of them that you'll come across in the book of Proverbs. And so I want us to look this morning at a portion of chapter 1. As you can see, we could spend a great deal of time on every verse. And so on our journey through the Proverbs, we'll just make a, a passing through and hit on uh, maybe a key verse in each chapter or verses and uh, allow you to li- use the rest of your life mining out the treasures here. I hope you'll adopt into your daily round of life to take a proverb each day and dissect it and digest it and copy a verse or two down on an index card, put it in your pocket and rehearse it and let that that guide you day by day. Your life will be absolutely transformed by it. And you'll begin to think the proverbs. When situations come to your way, um, a verse will come. He that handleth a matter wisely shall find good. Uh, there's a way that seemeth right is, uh, to a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Or uh, you, you, over and over again, there'll be thoughts that come to your mind. The way of the transgressor is hard. The, the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. And so as you see situations, those verses will come to mind. And they'll also be used to preach to yourself. The Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. So often we're waiting for someone else to do that. You've got a copy of God's Word. You know it. You can read it. Remind yourself of it. Take yourself up by the, the collar and say, Chris Lamb, this, you know better than this. You know what the Scripture says. And remind yourself uh, that, that, that these, uh, the hope deferred maketh the heart sick. And, uh, but over and over again, there'll be something that'll apply to every part of your day. Now, the book of Proverbs, if you'll keep this in mind, is a father teaching his son what he needs to know to live life. And so I want you to always think of that father's voice <clears throat> as he's instructing his son. And then transfer that to our heavenly father's voice as he's instructing us as his children. It has a, a local and a primary meaning, a father instructing his son. And then, But it's for us today. Don't just think of that. Well, I'm not a son. I'm not a child. I'm grown. But you're still a child of the Heavenly Father. And these precepts are not just for the junior high, senior high, or the young adult. This is how life is to be lived. And we're never at a point where these uh, temptations, the susceptibilities, are, cannot be, uh, come to us. 
So we're always, uh, we never reach a point where you might say, well, I would never do that, or that would never be a temptation to me. Oh, take heed when you think like that, lest you fall. So if we're studying, for example, alcohol drunkenness is addressed here, or here this morning, uh, joining in with the wrong crowd, some may say, well, oh, I'm so old, I'm past all that. Oh, no, you're not. And even in heart and mind, you can do that. Sometimes the older people think that they've escaped the actual presence of being with the wrong crowd or committing these sins, but in their heart and their mind, they rehearse them. Or they associate with them at least uh, in, a, in an affirmative way, an excusing way. And we often wonder, that person ought to know better than that. Why would they go along with that? Well, they go along with it in their heart and mind. They may not be literally openly out and out doing it, but... Uh, the Bible says to take pleasure in them that do them is the same as in Romans chapter 1 is doing it. So that's why we have to be so careful about media and television, what we allow to watch. Even vicariously, it influences us. And so none of us are exempt. I don't care who you are, how old you are. So keep that in mind. So here we have a literal scenario of a father teaching his son what to do if he gets in this kind of situation. And so with that in mind, I want us to begin reading there in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 10. He tells us why the Proverbs are written, to give subtlety, to give wisdom, to know right from wrong, to know the ways of the Lord. Verse 5 tells us a wise man will hear. One of the earmarks of a wise person, they'll listen to instruction. A fool will not, a scorner will not, the simple, just whatever. But those are already uh, past or or in a situation where they have to have a work of the Lord to listen. But a wise person, a mark of a wise person, they are listening. They will heed. They will take take advice. To understand, verse 6. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge in verse 7. But fools, what? They despise learning, despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of thy father. I'm about to tell you something you need to know, son. So listen to me. And forsake not the law of thy mother. This is parental teaching throughout the book of Proverbs. And that comes from our heavenly parent, our heavenly father. They shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head. Think of uh, a beautiful ornament. Living wisely will uh, distinguish that person. The Bible speaks, the world thinks of no wrinkles and full head of hair and makeup and jewels and all the rest are, are the things to have. But the Bible says the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit are a godly woman's ornament. And that hoary hairs, gray hairs, are the crown, God's crown uh, to his aged people. And think of an ornament of grace. Well, Brother Lamb, what would that look like? Well, just picture a gracious life. Think of a person who's lived life well, and they have, they're enjoying the fruits of it. They have bypassed the rocky shoals. It's not that they're perfect, not that they've always done it right, but they listen to the Lord. And they've lived a long and full life serving the Lord. Now, that's a testimony of grace, just like being saved out of a life of sin at an old age. You know, We often glamorize those kinds of testimonies. Some notorious sinner coming to the Lord. Uh, the Apostle Paul being changed, and what a, what a mark of grace that is. But what about Timothy, who lived all of his life from his mother's knee to a young man and uh, bypassed all of that? You see? So that's the way, an ornament of grace. This ought to be the decoration of every child of God uh, unto thy neck. And he's, he's speaking of the royalty. You know, the, the priests, the kings would write, wear these jewels, you know, the scepter and all that. But these are unseen jewels, but just as real just as beautiful as the pure gold that the king would wear. Chains of grace about thy neck. People will see it. A life well lived. A life blessed of God. You can't go unnoticed. It's obvious. And it's just as obvious as if they had gold chains around their neck. The blessing of God. 
Now, my son, he's giving him a scenario here. My son, if sinners entice thee, not, uh, and, and they will, it, really the word if there is sense, they're going to. Just take it for, just not take it for granted. That's going to happen. Can't live through life without being tempted, either from afar or near at hand, through the media or the next door neighbor or classmate, cousin, brother. There are all kinds of people that will entice you, sometimes near at hand and far away. The enticement is not from them, it's from your own flesh. And so he's warning you that within your members are these possibilities. And he gives them a scenario. If they entice you, in other words, to sin, don't go along with it. Consent thou not. We have to teach our children young, young at, uh, at very young, don't go along with the crowd. Isn't that what parents say over and over again? But mother, everybody's doing it. And my godly mother would say, no, they're not. You're not. They may all be, all of them, but you, but you won't be included in that number. I had a mother like that. Consent thou not. Learn to say no. One of the most the hardest words, but one of the strongest, manliest things you can say is, no, I will not. I'll not join in that. I'll not do this. If they say, and he goes ahead and wisely gives them a scenario that could very well happen to a young person. Come with us, let us lay wait for blood, let us lurk privately, privily, secretly for the innocent without a cause. Let's jump this guy on the street and take his billfolds, what they're plotting to do. That's not an unheard of thing, is it? Very real. All across Birmingham this happened yesterday and today. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down to the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We will fill our houses with spoil, things we've stolen from other people. Cast in thy lot among us. Let's all join together, and you watch the door, you watch the back, and I'll do the front. You know, they've got a plan. You knock him in the head, I'll take his purse. It's always in groups. And let us all have one purse. We'll, we'll divide up whatever we take. All these are lies, aren't they? See, the, the, the foolish, the idiot, the, the simple, the scorner, they think they've got it all figured out. But the devil always has a scheme, always has a plan. And he'll always, you'll always come up on the short end. My son, walk not thou. Don't fellowship with them. If you're not walking with them, you're not going to be able to get involved in all that. Walk thou not in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. Don't be on the same path they are. Don't be at the same hangout that they're hanging out. For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Whether they know it or not, that's what's going to happen if they live like that. If they carry out this plot, at some point, someone's going to get killed. And some harm is going to come not only to the others, but to you. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. And they that lay wait for their own blood, they lurk privily for their own lives. They don't realize it, but they will be caught up with. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain. See, he's addressing a human. You want, you want money, but this is not the way to get it. He'll later tell him, tell him to work hard. Look at the state of your flocks. Be like the ant. She works hard and saves. That's how you get your money. You don't take it from someone else. You don't see how you can get it from someone else. This is what you've got. Let me see how I can get it from you. That's not how you make money. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life, or he would save in the life um, savings of the owners thereof. I remember as a boy, and I will just give you this example as vaguely as I can, but it is a very uh, vivid picture in my life. Uh, in those days when we, there was much more freedom, it seems, and we'd play out all day in our neighborhood, 
we didn't lock doors. Uh, all the neighbors knew each other's children, and, and I had a neighbor who might snatch me up and, and give me a, uh, a whipping just like my mother would. I mean, they all knew each other, and they watched each other and that kind of thing. And so we were uh, with, I was about 13 years of age, I think, and rode my bicycle, and I was with a group of boys, and we lived about two miles from the mall, of which I was not to go to the mall without my parents with me or my permission. But they all said, let's go to the mall together. Let's ride our bikes to the mall. That'd be th- we thought that would be an exciting big thing to do. McFarland Mall had just been built. And let's go to the mall and see what we, just find out, see what we can do. Well, we went. And, again, what do you do? You don't, we didn't have any money to buy anything at the mall. So uh, I don't think I had anything in my pocket at all. So you kind of conglomerate toward the food court area. And there was this older, we were all just that age, just, you know, young guys, played ball together. Uh, shoot our BB guns together and that kind of thing. And all of a sudden I noticed this group of people beginning to, it's something how evil is like a magnet. Have you noticed that? It doesn't take long for the the evil people to line up or people are up to no good purpose. They'll find each other like a magnet. I've I've seen it for all these years. And so before long there was a group, a lot of people didn't know each other, and there arose, all of a sudden there became a leader. And that always happens, too. This big, older high school boy, maybe been a college-age guy, I don't know. Anyway, we had no business being around somebody that age. He was out of our age group, and he was no brother to any other. And all of a sudden, I began to see, I don't know what happened or what was going to happen, but all I can tell you is that it was as if the Lord just uh, kept me from getting involved. And all of a sudden, fear seized my my heart and mind. I just knew, I sensed that, and I wasn't the brightest crayon in the box, but this was against, my, I was at the wrong place. I wasn't supposed to be where I was. This was, and they began to be big talk, and I, you know, I can't remember, it's been so many years ago, but I just, what I do remember most about it, I was in the wrong place. Fear gripped my heart, and I ran. And uh, knowing that all my buddies were going to make, where'd you go? What happened to you? And all that. I didn't care at that point, and I got on my little bicycle and rode myself home. Not a very exciting story, but I never read this portion of Scripture without thinking, what could that have wound up being? Something like, you watch the door. You can go in these stores that could have been had a plan to shoplift something. Go in and get something out of a store. Can you imagine? I don't know. All I can say is, I praise God from sparing me from what I've sensed to be a, a dangerous situation. Well, the word for sinners in verse 10, when he says, my son, uh, if sinners can tie thee, comes from the Hebrew word to miss the mark, to stumble or fall, coming up short in the moral department. It's not necessarily willful, but there is, here in our text, it is willfully missing the mark. And it is one of the words, there are many words for sin, the word transgress, but this one is the word to miss the mark. And to know it and to willingly miss it. The word refers to our thoughts, our deeds, our, our words, and not to our inbred condition of essential sinfulness. We're all sinners by, by nature. And so verses 10 through 19 is a warning of what may happen if the son does not obey the father and embrace wisdom. The sinner in the world say, come. This is the great inv- Do you know God has an invitation today and the world has an invitation God says, come unto me, let us reason together. 
come in, walk with me, uh, come look into me, all you ends of the earth, and be you saved. But the world has a siren voice. Oh, join with us. We have pleasures unknown. We can show you things you've never seen. We're going, we live an exciting life. Oh, the, the world, the flesh, and the devil join together to form a great chorus. Come with us. Join with us. Be like us. Do what we do. Let us teach you. You've been such a sheltered life. Let us teach you some things. And young people and old people alike, when you begin to hear that kind of talk, your radar ought to go off. I don't want anything to do with these people. They're trying to dismantle all that is good and noble in my life. And so they're beckoning to join with them on a journey down a broad road. They're going somewhere, aren't they? Oh, yes, they're, they're going to, to big time. They're going to big time destruction is where they're headed. And it leads to destruction and misery and, and woe. Contrast to the last invitation of the Bible in verse 22, Revelation 22, verse 17, the spirit and the bride also are beckoning us. They say, come, come. Well, the wise have a reverential respect for God. That's one of the earmarks. It's one of the things that distinguish them. They listen to the voice of God above all other voices. And that voice is in his word. It is his indisputable, holy, inspired word. When God speaks, it is through his word. Now, they have, and because of that, they have a wise and reverential respect for all of God's ordained authorities. There's no authority given but what's been ordained by God. So parents and pastors and uh, the officials over us, whether that individual may be everything they ought to be or not, God has ordained it and set it up. And it is a, is a, a wrong for parents not to teach their children to say yes, sir, and obey not only the teacher and the, the policeman and the, the uh the judge and all those people, they may not always be what they ought to be, but you be what you should be regardless and have your attitude to be right. And one of the first things that we must do as parents and grandparents is to teach our children to respect authority. The sinner sees all these as the enemy, don't they? Who's going to tell me? Nobody's going to tell me what to do. That's the, the attitude of a sinner, of a lost person. They want to exert their will and usurp their will over all those around them. They, one of the lies of the devil is that all they're in your way just trying to keep you from having a good time, from trying to keep you from enjoying and sensing all that's out there in life. And uh, that's the devil's lie. And God is trying to keep you from the heartache and from sin and wrong uh, associations. Now, my parents' law, if you will, not to go to the mall without their permission and without them being with me was not a mean thing, was it? They didn't set up one night, so let's see how miserable we can make Chris's life. But in their wisdom, they knew all kinds of things could happen at an unchaperoned event with a bunch of little boys in a wrong place, and then, then all of a sudden other big boys come along. We, we know the way of the world, and we know those things. They might not happen every time, but we know the possibilities. And so uh, they've made up their mind, the sinner, that they won't let anyone or anybody stop them. And, oh, you're on your way to destruction if that's your mindset. So authority and with all that, all that represents authority become the enemy. Isn't that something how that happens? For there to be a fence, is not, that's not being mean, you know. A fence means there's purpose here. When you see a fence, it means authority or ownership. And that this has been set aside for something. It, it shows the ownership of a yard, the, the, the delineation of property. And God sets up fences in our lives. It starts with his law. We're not to climb over that fence. To climb over that fence is to go out into the wilderness of destruction. The fool, the simple, and the scorner 
they join together to form the crowd. We often hear young people say, well, they, everyone, they. You know who they are? The school, the fool, the scorner, and, and the simple. And they, uh, amazingly, they cannot exist in a vacuum. Like parasites, they feed off others. Evil has to have new help, doesn't it? <laughs> it has to have new bodies, new, new cohorts. Always looking for, for fresh recruits to join with them in their, their folly. And uh, the fool and the scorner try to influence the simple because the simple, by definition, they're naive. They're open. They can be easily led. And these, these, the, fool, the fool and the scorner can sense that, don't they? They look for those kinds of people to lead them about. All of us have been there. We've probably experienced it in our growing up years and see know what that's like. But we see in verse 11 the power of peer pressure. If they say, come with us, let us lay wait, he gives a scenario. The group here, alluring the young person, use persuasive and intimidating words. You're just a baby. You just, you just, you're a mama's boy. You're a sissy. Or you just do everything. You, know, you use these condescending words that nobody wants to hear. And yet if we'd stop and think about them, what difference does it make if that's what they think? You know, I've always have tried to teach my children, the whole world didn't vote on that this morning. If that person said that, that's just their opinion. So you, the whole world doesn't think that. When somebody says a disparaging remark, you're just this or you're just that, that's their opinion. They're just one person. And so we, we have to learn not to listen, not to hear those kind of things and decide to do what's right no matter what. Sooner or later, every individual must decide which path to take. Mother and daddy can't decide for you. The pastor can't decide for you. You will have to decide the path you will take. And the signs of spiritual maturity is walking wisely. Uh, the narrow path of obedience, blessing, and wholesomeness and accountability, submission to God's ordained authorities, are flow like the water with the mass of those on the broad road going to destruction. Go with the flow, just whatever. Whatever I feel like today, that's what I'll do. Whatever the crowd tells me, I won't think for myself. Let's just have a fun. Let's just have a big time. Down that broad boulevard, that will, where is it leading? It's falling headlong like the, the Niagara Falls down into destruction. Oh, it sails alone here. We're just sailing alone, having a big time, doing whatever we want to do. But, but at the end, there's a yawning chasm of eternity. That's where the broad road leads. And every person not on the narrow road of salvation is on that broad road leading to destruction. Now, the narrow path is sometimes a lonely one. Sometimes it's a misunderstood path. Why are you walking there? Why are you walking like that? There are always detractors. There are always those to make fun. There are always those, and they're just really the voice of Satan, aren't they? Like him coming in the Garden of Eden. Has God really said? Did your parents really say? Do you really have to do that? How do you know? That's, that's the voice of Satan, that questioning, mimicking, intimidating voice. Oh, how pastors and parents need to teach the value of God's wisdom and how to say one of the most important words in the English language. No. No, I'm not listening to you. No, I'm not going to do that. How freeing that is to say no and, uh, and to go the opposite way. Look at where it starts in verse 10. If sinners entice thee. If they say. We see two things here, the invitation to join in with wrongdoing, and it will come. There's always that invitation. It's only a matter of time. The best of young people will be confronted with overwhelming temptation, opportunities to sin. Notice the word, the plural, the word sinners is plural. Sin has a way, as I've mentioned, of clumping together. 
uh, one dog, my father-in-law, our late pastor, used to say that one dog is a pet, but two or more become a pack. And, and, and teens are that way. What one wouldn't think of by themselves, two or three or four, you've got all kinds of, of things going on. And so we have to be careful about that. Two people will come up with something that would, one would never venture on their own. What if we, or we could join together and we could do this? Or three or four becomes a group, or five or six is a gang, don't you? After a while, you've got all kinds. The possibility of trouble and even crime increases with the larger population of an unsupervised group. It all starts with an invitation to join in with a group to start to do something different. It may be even innocent at first, but it often leads to sin. And that's why we need supervision, the right guidelines in these areas. We have here in the, the text, in verses 10 through 19, a group joining together to carry out a scheme to get money from somebody else in an illegal way. Notice they're not saying, let's join together and buy a, a lawnmower and a weed eater and go around and cut yards and pick up trash and rake up leaves and we can join together and, and have a, a, a business and make money. No, that's, that's not what the, the center is going to do. They're too lazy to do that. Let's knock somebody in the head and take their purse and we'll divide that up. Covetousness. You see, all this is a violation of the law of God. Wanting something that's just not yours, that you just shouldn't have, uh, that's, that's somebody else's. Uh, covetous, which violates the law of God, wanting what we don't have that someone else has and then planning to murder them to get it. The writer here gives a gruesome and an unbelievable scenario, but which is all too real in our society, here in the opening verses of the book of God's wisdom. Wow, how stark it begins. And I remind you, the first book of the Bible begins with a murder too, doesn't it? That one brother against another. So the Bible always just comes to the heart of the matter. It gets right down to the truth. And uh, obviously to jar our senses of, of the real dangers of following the wrong advice, following the wrong crowd. Exodus 23, verse 2 is an important verse. Exodus 23, verse 2, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Be not deceived. Evil communications or evil relationships, uh, corrupt good manners or corrupt moral habits. In other words, evil friends will corrupt good moral teaching. What would one would never have been brave enough to do on their own? Now they've become empowered and conceived of doing, can be persuaded to do by a wrong relationship. Uh, I, you know, um, all the, the excuses and the, the ways of getting around the truth and, and lying to, to parents. Proverbs 13.20 says, He that walketh, and the word walk is always the living our lives, going along with. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And we need to teach that. You go that way, you will be destroyed. You will be caught up with. Just because someone hasn't by now doesn't mean they will not be. And we know if never, even in this life, in the great day, they will be caught up with, won't they? You cannot sin and get by with it. You cannot violate God's law. The Bible is filled with such warnings and examples of, of wrong friends. Now, a, a good friend is the pr most precious thing on earth. And I'm in no way saying that young people shouldn't have friends and, and wholesome uh, environments and wholesome uh, groups to be with. But uh, the Bible is filled with the, the warnings of wrong relationships and influencing us to do the wrong thing the wrong way. Notice here the travesty of the crime they've dreamed up. Verse 11, let us lay wait, let us hide in the bushes of the hedges. 
or in the house or whatever for blood if we have to. Now, they're planning on committing a, a bodily harm to someone just for money. You see how the covetousness, how, where it leads. We hear every day this takes place. Someone is home invasions. People are being hurt over their property. Uh, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privily for the innocent without call. In other words, they won't know that we're going to catch them off guard. And in other words, we'll hide, and when they're not looking, we'll attack them. And when, and when they have no idea what they're in for, this element of surprise will take them off guard. And usually it's an older person or a woman or someone who cannot uh, readily respond. Then they deal with the, the body in verse 12, bearing it, doing away with it, trying to cover up. But you can't do that. You can't cover up sin just so they can steal money and spend it probably within a day or two. Can you imagine how it'd be easier to get a, a job making money than having to come up with crime every day to find it? I taught a Bible study in the prison, and one day I asked the young man, there was a young man, he was not even 30, in my class. I mistakenly, I was trying to start a conversation and find out about them. I had been warned by the, the, over, the overseers, don't, don't get into the personal lives because it will, you don't need to know that. You're just there to teach the Word of God. And I was trying to you know, warm up, and I violated that clear instruction. And I asked this young boy, I said, well, what, what, did you, what did you do before you got in here? I wasn't trying to find out their crime necessarily. He said, oh, he, I said, well, he said, what do you mean? I said, did you work? Did you have a job? He said, I've never worked a day in my life. He said, my uncle's in here and my brother is in here, and we did nothing but rob banks and stores to get every dime we ever had. I couldn't believe it. This young guy, young as my son, and he had never had a job but every day was a plotting or scheming of get, getting money in that way. Can you imagine how tiring that would be? And not to mention that it's wrong and illegal and horrible, but that, you know, there's only so many banks in Birmingham and so many stores, and sometimes you're always taking a chance that somebody's not going to see you or you get caught before you get out the door. And, of course, they did, didn't they? Because that's where he was, sitting in prison with a 30-year sentence. Was it been an old man before he got out? For what? That money would have spent, been spent 30,000 times. No matter how much money you, you stole, it wouldn't be enough to last long. And it was just the, 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 the silliness of the whole thing. Well, notice that, when, that they pressured the simpleton to join with them, share and share alike. And we'll divide it up evenly among ourselves, which, of course, probably never happens. And then in verse 15, they give gives the godly advice. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Don't, don't be involved in that. Refrain thy foot from their path. Don't even hang out. Don't even go where they are. You stay away from them. You take a different road. Run if you have to. That's what Joseph did, didn't he? Joseph could have sinned with Potiphar's wife, and as far as he knew, nobody could have ever known it. But it always is known. She would have told it. Potiphar would have found out. Some other servant would have seen it. And most of all, God knows it. And that's what Joseph knew. He said, how can I sin against God and do this great deed? He knew that the eyes of the Lord are in every place. Another proverb, beholding the evil and the good. So the first psalm tells us that the, the, the person who is spiritually blessed of God, 
the ideal standard of one who would know and enjoy the favor of the Lord is specifically described there in Psalm 1 as one who conducts his life and his relationships wisely. He does not stand in the way of sinners. That's, that's the first. Notice the progression. Standing and then he doesn't sit in the seat of the scorner. You see, sitting, standing, or walk with them. You see, that denotes fellowship. There's a progression downward. Uh, he is careful as who, who he allows to influence him. Notice the progression here in, in, in Psalms 1. It is the downward progression because it is the sinful relationships always pull us down and away from the Lord and, and away from the righteous and away from that which is good. And as I read that, you just listen. You don't have to turn there. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the, the way of the sinners, nor sitteth. So he's walking. If you didn't walk with him, you wouldn't stand with him. That's lingering and listening. You see, walking is going the same direction. You not, shouldn't be going the same path. But then you stop and listen. They say, hey, i got an idea. Since we're going along here together, why don't you join with us? We're going to meet at 5, and, we're going, and then that plot. Uh, and then sit it down. Finally, you sit down with them. That's fellowship. That's totally hanging out with them. The opposite is true. His delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And whatever he does will prosper. Prosperity will come. The prosperity that God wants you to have. And uh, the ungodly are not so. They will not stand in judgment. They're like the chaff which the wind drives away. Now, what is described here in these verses before us in Proverbs 1, verses 10 through 19, is every parent's nightmare. That their son or daughter might fall in with these kinds of people and destroy their lives. What can be done? Most people today so foolishly throw up their hands and say, well, there's just so many evil influences in this world. It's so wrong and hard. It's, you can't raise children today like you did 50 years ago, like you did back in the, your day, Brother Lamb. That was, that was a long time ago, and things were so much easier. No, here we are talking about things that happened thousands of years ago. Things haven't changed. There was a gang in Proverbs chapter 1. That's just not something in Birmingham or Chicago that happened the last few years. These kinds of things, the ways of sin, there's nothing new under the sun. And godly parents have always known this. And godly parents just don't throw up their hands and say, well, whatever, there's not much we can do. First of all, you can pray, and you can lead a good example yourself, and you can teach, and you can have godly guidelines in your home. How can this type of thing be avoided, we might ask? There are several things the Bible teaches that parents are to do in the training of their children. Of course, it goes without saying that, that godly parents will keep their children under sound and clear, authoritative preaching of the gospel. Let me just say, that's the first deterrent to crime right there. Having your children hear the kind of thing I'm saying this morning. They're not going to hear it in the world or on MTV or in a video game somewhere where most young people are just immersed. They need to hear a godly Sunday school teacher tell them that Jesus Christ is the Savior, that God, he, does, he that has made us and not we ourselves, and that you're going to have to stand before him one day. See, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but there's no fear of the Lord without the clear teaching of his word. And so parents, I can't imagine, and their, their parents not having their, their children under the, the preaching of the gospel, the, clearly the most important, one of the most important things that you can do as a parent. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. How shall they hear unless they have a preacher? And the Bible tells us that faith comes how? By hearing. And hearing by the word of God. So it needs, we need to avail ourselves to the means of grace. Now I was raised in the home of a believing parent and an unbelieving parent. 
I was raised in the home. One parent became an invalid. And on my, all my formative years, uh, one of my parents was bedridden at the point of death. And yet my mother did not let that uh, keep her from her duty of pointing us in the right direction. And uh, even though we were raised in that situation, my, my father's had, uh, he was in and out of the hospital just almost weekly. We never missed a Sunday school. We never missed church. If she couldn't personally get us there, she had someone come get us. And our church was a great distance from our house. I mean, she gave such diligence to that. It would be no mistake that all my brothers and sisters came to know the Lord as Savior and are serving Him today. There's a, there's a correlation, correlation there. The, the carefulness. That doesn't mean we weren't exposed to sin and, 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 and so forth. But every one of them will tell you that her godly example and the emphasis that she put on things... And being involved in the Lord's work in his house, long before I ever came to know the Lord, that was instilled uh, in my heart. And I praise God for it. Uh, she, could have had, she had a million excuses why it was, she didn't, didn't have the energy or the wherewithal or the convenience of having us there. But that didn't ever cross her mind. I mean, she was relentless with it. So we need to be under the, the clear teaching of God's word. Oh, there's safety there. And the Lord is bound to speak to hearts in that condition. These biblical principles must be taught and lived out in their home and modeled before their children. I gave you an example of often wanting to do something, and my mother says, no, not everybody's doing it. You're not going there. You're not going to be there. You're not going to do that. Another thing that we can do as parents is to teach respect and submission to God-ordained authority. The scorner, the fool... Uh, and the, the simple all have one thing in common. They hate authority. They don't, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Uh, the Judges 8 says, likewise, uh, Jude, excuse me, verse 8 says, likewise, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion. They despise authority and speak evil of dignities. Don't allow your children to speak evil of their authorities, their teachers, their, the, the people that are over them. In fact, the scripture says, speak evil of no man. And you shouldn't speak evil of someone, and they won't be tempted to speak evil of someone. The Bible is very clear about that. Speak evil of no man. Don't allow your children to criticize their teachers and their leaders and their pastors and their principals. You will need their godly influence at some point, I guarantee you. Not because it's me, not because I'm a know-it-all or perfect, nothing can be farther from the truth. But you will want them to hear what I have to say because it is from the Lord, and I'm their pastor. And their teacher, their Sunday school teacher, you say, listen to, to the Sunday school teacher, listen to the, the, the teacher, is a sign of a spiritual problem when, uh, when there's criticism. Now, all of us are human, we'll make uh, faults and make uh, wrong choices, but there's a way of solving those problems without just criticizing them. I remember reading about a, young, a man's testimony who said they had an evangelist come to their church one Sunday morning. Oh, it was a big downtown church, wealthy church. And the evangelist came in. He just was a little bit different than what they were used to. I mean, he preached like Elijah and John the Baptist. He laid down the law of God and the sinfulness of the heart, called for repentance. And on the way home, this boy, he and his brother in the back seat, he heard his parents. His dad said, what do you think of that man? The brother said, I've never seen anything like it all my life. Did you see the way he made a fool out of himself and they began to dissect and criticize that uh, that preacher and that man was a man when he was writing it said that right there ended anything of me having anything to do 
with a God or his church, and I can thank my parents for it. Now, I'm just giving you that as an illustration. He is going to have to stand before the Lord for the truth he heard. But what damage those parents did by having roast evangelists on the way home for Sunday dinner. And how many young people are not in church because of that today. Now, as a boy, sometimes we had pastors that weren't where they ought to be. And I'm not going into all the, the details there, but, but that's something that would have never been tolerated in my home, to, to speak evil of those over us. Don't allow your children to criticize them. If there's a problem, address it. Go to them. Isn't that what the scriptures say? And deal with it. We live in a day when no one wants to be corrected. The worst thing in this society is to offend someone. I've been disrespected. I've had my feelings hurt. I want you to apologize to me. And no one wants their children to be corrected. That's pride of the, the basest sort. And that's idolatry out of children. And one of these days it will backfire on you if, that's your, if that is your uh, mindset. That's part of being in a household of faith. That's how the Lord has designed it. He puts us in families and he puts us in church families for others to influence us and to bless us and to help us. Sometimes it may hurt our feelings, but that's not the intent of the authority. And it will be for the ultimate good of the, the, the child. Uh, you, you understand and must understand uh, that. If you come to me and say, Brother Lamb, I don't know if you know it, you've got a big hole in the back of your coat. After the Sunday school hour, if I had a big hole there or some big tear, you'd say, Pastor, I just thought you'd want to know. I don't, you must, I don't know if you know it or not. There's a big hole in the back of your coat. Uh, that might be embarrassing to me, but I, I shouldn't get mad at you about you telling me the truth. There's a hole in the back of your coat, and you need to, you need to know that. You aren't saying that I'm a worthless person or didn't have any sense. Didn't that, you're, you're just pointing out something to me that you and thought I might want to know. One time uh, on a Sunday morning after the Sunday school hour, a cameraman like Brother May said, Pastor, you might want to know your hair is sticking straight up in the back right there, and you might want to fix that before the next hour. Well, it was embarrassing, but it was the truth. And he knew I would have wanted to correct that. And so let's keep that in mind. Your intent is to help and to keep from being embarrassed more. Well, authority is God-ordained, and we never get to the place in life where we're not subject to it, are we? You'll never get to the place where there's not someone over you. Teach your children to take it and to respond to it in the right way, respectfully, never allowing complaining and murmuring, and don't allow it in their friends. You don't allow that, and you don't allow their friends to do it. You correct that. And their friends respectful and, and gracious to authority as well. Another thing we can do is to teach them the dangerous personality types to avoid. They're out there, aren't they? Manipulating people, controlling people. And uh, while we should be careful about this, we, uh, as we go through life, we ought to point out these kinds of people. A true friend doesn't try to dictate to you what to do. You just say that. Well, well Billy wants me to do so-and-so. Well, son, you can't do that. Well, Billy says, and you have to say, well, Billy's not your parent, you know. Without tearing down Billy, you begin to point out, as you can, as you go by the way, uh, these, these, a true friend doesn't dictate to you what to do. Point, point out sneakiness or dishonesty. If John told his mother he was going to Don's house, but he didn't, he went somewhere else. See, that's sneaky, and you point that out. We don't do things like that. Uh, are they forthright? Are they honest? Do they deal in truth? Or they try to sneak around to get their way? That's a, a character flaw. What is their speech like? Is it off color, offensive, or corrupt, or slang, or not to the use of edifying? 
Uh, do they have a healthy self-image? Or are they constantly trying to tear down on others to make themselves look big? And see, all of this goes in parenting. And then another thing, help them to be good stewards of their time. The Bible teaches us to redeem the time. Let not, uh, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, proving what is acceptable uh, unto the Lord, and having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And so the, and the Bible says to teach us to number our days. It's a prayer. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. A lot of trouble has gotten into because of wasting time. My grandmother used to say, and I'm sure yours did too, an idle mind is the devil's workshop to teach them to be useful and to use their time in a wise way. Well, these kinds of things will come along. We could teach our children, for example, that standard of Philippians 4 verse 8, what sort of things are true. What sort of things are, are honest? What sort of things are just, pure, lovely? What sort of things are of good report if there be any virtue, praise? Think on these things. May the Lord bless his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your, the holy inspired word of God. May all of us take heed this morning. And we pray you bless every parent teaching their children. Oh, bless our households and make them strong, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.